0: All right. Hey, everybody. And welcome to Product Happy Hour, where you can go to happy hour with your favorite product people in your sweatpants. We are product folks here to share what we've learned often the hard way over great drinks. Why happy hour? Why not? It's the best way to get the inside scoop from grizzled vets with the scars to prove it. Thanks for giving us a listen. The best ways you can help us keep this party going is to head to our website and subscribe at ProductHappyHour.com. And please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. It's either $5 a month or $30 a year. That's literally one Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year to keep this sucker going. Finally, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for easy listening, anywhere, anytime. We have another great interview for you all this week. Our interviews are created as a way to ask experts in our product community questions designed to help us take your product game and career to the next level. Our guest today is John Meekin, one of the best product experimentation experts I've ever had the privilege of working with. I learned so much from John during our days at Verbo together, and I'm so excited to have him impart some of his wisdom from analyzing hundreds of experiments with you. So let's get right into it. Here's our interview with John Meakin. Enjoy. Hey, John. Welcome to Product Happy Hour. It's nice to have you, man. Good to see you. Thank you. Yeah, good to see yeah, you again. Yeah, likewise. It's been a uh, been a couple of years, but uh, uh, looks like uh, looks like things are going well. Um, I thought uh, just to kick us off, it might be helpful to walk through your experience just so our audience can get to know you better. Does that sound good? Yeah, perfect. John Meakin is a staff data scientist at Meta. John has worked with top tech companies uh, like Expedia, and Meta specifically on the art of A-B testing. He began his career as a researcher at the American Institutes for Research. I was surprised to find this. Uh, So you are like a hardcore researcher before yeah. before getting into experiment design.
1: Yeah, I spent the first six years of my career with PhD academics all, all the way.
0: Whoa. All right. Yeah. So probably quite the shock to run into people like me being like, oh, let's just <laughs> ship it. It's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, you were working on uh, experiment design for research projects there. What, is that, what does that entail? Is it like people are doing research on certain things and you're verifying that the experiments are running are... are Accurate?
1: Yeah, a lot of it was actually contracting with either school districts. I, I did a lot of education research so a lot of it was contracting with school districts or education curriculum providers and basically designing an evaluation to test whether or not they're efficient or not. Um, so basically a, an A/ B test we'd you know recruit 100 schools and randomly assign 50 of them to get some educational intervention and then um, measure student outcomes.
0: Um, that's awesome. sometimes it would take yeah, three I,
1: years, uh, which is a lot longer <laughs> than most people want to wait for an AB test, but yeah,
0: that sounds a lot longer than the experiments that we run in, Definitely. Uh, digital products. Yeah. So, yeah. but also probably a great, uh, great, really, uh, insightful, exciting, um, set of experiments that are running. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So from ARR, um, you joined Verbo, part of Expedia group, which is where we met as a statistician yeah. focused on experimentation and embarked on many experimentation adventures, hopefully some of which we'll be able to talk a good bit about uh, and educate our listeners on. Um, you eventually became head of experimentation at Verbo prior to joining Meta in San Francisco and at Meta. John continues to be focused on all things experimentation in his role on Meta's experimentation platform. So great experience, man. And, um, <clears throat> appropriate that we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about experimentation. Uh, yeah, I'm say, looking however. forward to it. All right. Well, before we do that, what are you drinking, man? What do you got there? So
1: usually I wouldn't do liquor on a weekday, but I decided it's wine on weekdays only, but I decided to go with, uh, a bourbon, and um, it's actually a bourbon made in uh, in Wyoming. Oh, oh and cool. uh, so I'm a big avid skier. I'm going to be in Wyoming
0: for a while to ski this year, and so felt a good choice to get me there sooner. What's it like being? someone that specializes in experimentation and skiing. Do you like AB test different sides of the mountain? You try like one side one day. No, you know, I, this know this sample, I know the samples. I know the
1: sample sizes are too small. I get 15 to 20 days a year, which is, you know, below uh, yeah. 30, which is yeah, generally a statistician rule of thumb for, um, no stats involved. But, um, yeah, so I don't do much experimenting. I, Try not to hurt myself.
0: So experimentation can be very surprising, especially for those starting out using it for the first time. What are some of the hard truths about A-B testing that (laughs) people should know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If you're you're doing it right, you're going to be humbled often. Um, like the reason, the reason people run experiments is because they generally have no idea what's the, what's going to be the impact of the features they change. I uh, talked about this a little earlier. Like if you already had a good sense about what the impact was going to be, you might not even need an A-B test. And so if you're running one, you're, you're very likely going to see results that you don't expect. Um, there's a really good Harvard business review article on this that sort of, I think booking.com actually published the their numbers, but um, I can say from ex- experience across multiple companies these, these data are real. I think it's like ten percent of experiments are are like successful. Um, this is cited co- like quite frequently in, in that Harvard Business Review article and and empirically in, in my experience. And so if you just take that at face value, like you know, one in ten things that you try are gonna it deliver the outcome you expected, and everything else is not. Um, and that's <laughs> really important to, to like, just like grapple with that. Like most people think most of their ideas are good, where in reality most ideas don't actually work. Um, and so, mm-hmm. just coming to grips with that early is is really important. I have two kind of interesting examples. Um, Let's do so, it. at one one of the like more famous tests at Verbo while I was there. Uh, was an experiment that um, was inspired by some like pretty interesting analysis on the 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 hero image on the search page so like every property that's displayed on search has its hero image, which is like the first image that gets displayed when you you know view a search result so you could you know see ten different properties in search and the image that that characterizes that property is called the hero image and there was some interesting analysis sort of done that that showed that like this wasn't a very good image, right? It was like oftentimes, you know, not even an image of the house. It might be an image of the surroundings. And the, the, the sort of worst case scenario is like an image of the bathroom or something. And so, uh, you know, it looked like at the surface, there was a lot of potential there to like make, like present a better image. Um, and so, uh, they ran a test where they, they basically built some AI models to, to produce the most aesthetically pleasing image and in, and, and in control they showed the the property owners default image. And in test, they showed the, the what we thought was the better image at the time. Um, and that test didn't do very well. It, first of all, we got a bunch of complaints from the property owners and also like, it was actually like, not like the, the conversion rates went down from that. Um, yeah, and and a lot of people thought it was like a really, really good idea. Um, on the flip side, um, there were a lot of experiments that we ran on on price display, not even like actually changing the physical price that you see, but just like, you know, moving where like, this was actually the, the, the interesting part is this is the same sort of product surface. This is like search results. I remember where, these. Yeah.
0: Remember where these where texts, do you...
1: Yeah, so there was two two experiments. One is like which hero image do you show and not another is like where do you put the dollar sign for the the price or something. And it wasn't that trivial, but it was it was that level of, you know, uh um, you know, small tweaks to pricing display. Um and mm-hmm. those pricing image uh, display tests Often and they got repeated at times would, would show pretty big wins. Um, so it was very interesting to see like what worked and what didn't was very very often not what people would expect.
0: I've been working in consumer products for some time, and um, experimentation is so critical, uh, especially for consumer products because you know you're dealing with millions of people that are coming to your product um, from lots of pl- different places around the world. And trying to talk to customers that are doing that can be uh, challenging. You know, not everybody is as strongly engaged as they might be in like a B2B product. Experimentation is a really, really critical tool. And um, I used to think A-B testing was super simple when I first started out. You know, you basically, when you're looking at an A-B test, you can probably explain this better than I can. But you have a control, which is what your site looks like today and then you have a variant which is what you're trying out that's new you split half of your traffic into control and variant and you look at the results and that's it right whatever performs better is the winner and you keep iterating that's what i thought happens and i was very very wrong um <clears throat> so let, let's talk about um some of the complexity of a b testing and what you need to watch out for, especially for newer PMs uh, that are tuning in here, um, and it's a lot more complicated than you, you than it looks on the surface, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think two two big uh,
1: like two big things to watch out for. One uh, one is um, the whole process cause is can be quite involved, and it can involve a lot of people within your org. So it's very unlikely if you're at a, a even a medium-sized company, that you're just going to go in and run an experiment in isolation. It could mean that you have to coordinate with your software engineer and your data scientist, and if you have one, a data engineer um, and potentially even a designer to sort of get everything, um, to get everything working. Uh, two kind of key examples are like, one is on the metric side. You mentioned like, oh, I'm just going to split my traffic in half and I'm going to see which is the winner. Um, and it's often not the case, or it's often difficult to actually tie the results that you have in an experiment to the actual business metric that you might track. Um, so f- as a, as a simple example, um, at Expedia Group, for, uh, we were, uh, trying to run experiments in the conversation platform. So this was like the chatbot. Um, and their top line metrics that they reported up to the business level were, um, you know, things that were actually almost impossible to measure in an experiment. And so when we went and they were trying to run experiments, it actually turned out that the metrics that they could actually have as a, as a result for their experiment, um, weren't exactly the same things that they could report up to the business. And that can be, you know, a challenge and and something that you have to grapple with. Um, I think another sort of interesting one is how much uh, knowledge the team has to have about the process and how c- complex things can get on the engineering side for implementing experiments correctly. Um, and software engineers don't always, um, have all of the right pieces in place to be able to instrument, uh, an experiment, uh, in the right way without a lot of, um, thought that goes into it. Um, so, you know, one thing that happens quite frequently is you get what's called a, an exposure imbalance or, or in the literature, it's called sample ratio m- mismatch where. Um, the intention is that uh, you split traffic 50-50, but it turns out when the data rolls in, it's not 50-50. And oftentimes you've got to wonder, like, why did that happen? Because this will invalidate your experiment results. So one of the things to really watch out for is is basically what's called a, an exposure imbalance or a sample ratio mismatch, which is mm-hmm. um, when you, you try to set up an experiment and you want to split your traffic 50-50. Um, but when you, when, when the data comes in, you actually observe something that's different than 50-50. Or this could also even be, you, you intend to strip, split the traffic at 90-10, which is perfectly okay as well. But when the data comes in, it's not 90-10. Um, and so this often happens because, uh, there's a lot of complexity in how you actually set up and implement the test. Um, uh, the, the main way that I see this manifest itself is, is in, when software engineers don't actually get the critical, like importance of randomization, um, and so like an example of this, I think is is like very, is in some ways, unintuitive. Um, at, at at Expedia Group or at Verbo specifically, I remember a test that we ran on the checkout, and what they were doing was uh, they there there used to be a, a message that would pop up. If you stayed in checkout too long, I think it was happening at three mm-hmm. seconds. If you were in checkout and you like didn't do anything for three seconds, um, it would sort of pop up and say, "Hey, do you, do you still want to book this property or something
0: like that?" I remember this test.
1: Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so what what happened yeah. was um, the they instru- the, the test was a, th- a three variant test, so 3333, 33, 33, right? <clears throat> and uh, in bar- in control, it was three seconds, wh- which was uh, prod. Um, in test one, it was wait five seconds. And in test two, it was wait 10 seconds. And uh, the team comes to the the support group and they say, hey, like my my experiment has a really weird imbalance because we send alerts for these things. Many sophisticated platforms will, will send an alert out. And, the, and they said, hey, you know, we got an alert for an imbalance. Um, is it going to fix itself? Because it's like the results look really good. And so, you know, I go and meet with the team and and instead of it being 33, 33, 33, it was something like, you know, 50, 30, 20. Um, and it turns out that the, the test two group that the people waiting in checkout for 10 seconds, that thing was crushing it. Like the conversion rate was 20% pot, like lift it, it, insane. And they're like, Oh man, this, this was like, we, we hope this will fix Kill itself. Them. Yeah. <laughs> and it won't fix itself. Not, not anything like that. Um, and uh so what we discovered was the way that the test had been implemented was in control uh which was you know show a message after 3 second the engineer had logged an exposure or in other words indicated a user has seen the experiment or included that user in the computation of the experiment at the 3 second mark um in test 1 they were logging the exposure. They were signaling that a user should be included in an experiment at the five-second mark. And obviously in test three, they were signaling that a user should be included in the experiment at the 10-second mark. Um, and this led to a, like an imbalance, a, a sample ratio mismatch, which completely invalidates the results of the experiment. And to, and to see why, like in, in concept, you can see why the engineer thought that that was the right thing to do. You're sort of logging exposure you're including somebody in the experiment at the time that they sort of see the feature that you're thinking you're testing the problem is that at the time the the prices weren't great on verbo uh checkout Mm -hmm. Uh, they've gotten better i've heard um but uh basically the 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 Cohort of users that you were logging control were sort of unintentionally or, or un- users that were in, in the shopping journey. They weren't as intentful to book. And there was a lot more of them because they were bouncing in and out of, of between the search page or the property page and checkout to like investigate better prices. Whereas the group that was waiting in checkout for 10 seconds, they were like much more intentful to book. And so you're not making an apples to apples comparison there. Um, and it completely throws off the test readout because of the sort of complexity and how you have to like think through the experiment design. Um, and so they went and yeah. fixed that. Um, and the test turned out to be not conclusive. Like you know, they ran it for a while and, and it, it, it doesn't help to, uh, to delay the, the
0: message. Spoiler alert, <clears throat> not yeah. conclusive results. Yeah. Gonna happen a lot. Um, we're gonna talk about that a little bit. This is a really fascinating example because um, it brings up quite a few things that would help a lot of people if they knew early on you know how to how to combat these things as it relates to exposure imbalance or sample ratio mismatch. The one thing that you were talking about was exposure, so <clears throat> maybe it'd be helpful just to kind of level set everybody on exposure. So exposure is when you're exposing a user to your experiment, and like you were saying, you have a control uh, and then two variants. And what the team was doing was exposing users to the experiment once they would actually see the UI, which would be a common mistake, especially in variant one and two, where everything is time-based, versus exposing users at the point when they're going to be exposed to the experience itself, not just the UI that's implemented, but also when you're going to get the delay, whether it's no delay, three seconds or five seconds. And that's an important sort of nuance test exposure has to be accounted for, um, for the whole experiment, not just one component of it, because the whole experience is what you're, what you're measuring, right? Is that a fair?
1: It is as a, as a really good rule of thumb, you should attempt to log exposure at the point of last common difference between all the variants that you're testing. Um,
0: the closest you can Look get at you to that. putting it so scientifically correctly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the best place to do it. And and th- sometimes you'll need to make trade-offs. Like uh, oftentimes the at Verbo, for example, the homepage team would would like create a module and that module would like be be a different width. And you'd have these questions about like where do you log exposure? Like after how long does the user have to scroll before you log an exposure? Um, and so there can be trade-offs that you have to make about like you know, when to do that, you might have to include too many users in the experiment that actually don't end up seeing the full version of the test um, as a sacrifice for that imbalance.
0: Yeah, it's interesting the um, how much nuance is involved with that. I think probably if you're starting out, you might assume, "Hey, I'll just I'll just bucket everybody once they get to the page," and that's not actually what you're testing. And in fact, what I've seen lately is when you are bucketing by page view, when you put somebody in either side of an experiment, when they land on the page versus when they're actually going to be exposed to the experiment, it can cause all kinds of havoc. (laughs) And, uh, And you see sample ratio mismatch a lot
1: yeah, if there's if you if you log too many users, right? if you log on the page view and you allow too many users into your experiment that won't inevitably see your changes, then in that scenario, you actually will have wider confidence intervals. You'll have less precision to to like detect effects that you care about. Um, so there is a balance between getting as close as possible to like including too many users who end up might who might end up like, Doing your metric, but not ever actually seeing your experiment.
0: There's like a, I don't know if it's like a triangle, but there's a a pretty um, close relationship between how much traffic you're exposing that's relevant to the experiment and your sample size needed for the total experiment to measure an effect in the experiment effectively. Can we talk about that a little bit? So there's sample size, there's things like minimal detectable effect and conversion rates. Maybe let's touch on the relationship of that a little bit. I find that fascinating. And I bring it up, I feel like I'm constantly talking about it, and half the time I get like a, huh? <laughs> and it's actually a really, really important concept.
1: Yeah, so so anytime you run an experiment, before you do so, you want to have a general perspective on what it is that is would be a meaningful effect to detect based on your your key metric or or metrics. Um, and I think a lot of people confuse this with what we would expect to see as the minimum detectable effect. And that's actually a, a pretty big misnomer, because if you had a pretty good idea of what you would expect, you might not actually need to run an experiment, right? So you're running the experiment because you don't know what's going to happen. And you want to make sure that you run an experiment for long enough or with enough users that if there's a true impact that you'll observe it with the data that you collect. While at the same time, if there's n- not an impact, that you don't sort of falsely discover something that's that's not there. Um, and so before you run an experiment, um, it's it's really important to have a perspective on what is the effect that you're that would be meaningful to you based on a number of factors there there, there could, it could be based on the level of effort that it took to to build the product it could be based on the number of other experiments you have in your backlog and it could be based on um you know the uh the overall like level of investment like the the business context um like how much of a of a hit could the business take or ha- if, if you weren't to detect some some meaningful negative impact and all of those things go into like how how big of a test how many users or for how long um, should you run an experiment
0: do you see how often do you see people not calculating their needed sample size for um, what they're it, trying to measure I think it varies
1: based on how much people know about how to do things correctly versus how much people, know what the right effect size to choose is so i think there's a spec there's a spectrum there's the tale of you know people don't understand at all that you you should be doing this and therefore they don't do it and they run an experiment and they look at it every day and you know that's that's on the like pretty poor practice end of the spectrum there's also the end of the spectrum of i know i should be doing this but i actually don't really have a good estimate of like, I actually don't have a good sense of what should the minimum effect I need to target be. Um, and those are, I think sort of distinct problems. Um, both are important in good experiment design, but um, they they manifest yeah. themselves differently.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. On the top line metric, I like the conversation example. I remember that the, a lot of the experience there and the, and the experimentation going on there on that metric So, you know, there's metrics that are too complex to test on. And out of curiosity, what were the metrics that they were looking at for that?
1: So in in this example, yeah. So for the conversations platform, their top line metrics were, had a lot of complex business logic that didn't necessarily treat, uh, uh, I forget all the exact details, to be honest, but the their, their mm-hmm. business logic was these very complex pipelines that ended up like not being able to tie specific users mm-hmm. to their actions. So it was like a more holistically aggregated sort of figure. It was like of, of all the users who start a conversation and then don't, then do a, like get routed to a chat bot and don't get routed to an agent, like, amongst those what's the average duration of their conversation it was things like that where like the experiment is is could be like the experiment could affect that or the experiment could be downstream from that and and would have been like irrelevant to the top line business metric and so like um i I hope that is like clarifies things a little bit like uh, most often experiment metrics are sort of event based, right? You have to be able to tie the the metric you care about to a specific user and that specific user's actions. And if you can't do that, then you can't really use that as a metric. Um, and that pe- I think people confuse that a lot because, as you mentioned at the beginning, like, oh, I'm just going to run an experiment, and we care about this, you know, business metric that actually doesn't like easily tie back to a user action.
0: Yeah, hundred percent makes sense. I think there is something that we've been discussing, or I've found myself discussing as of late, related to this topic is the idea of binarized and non-binarized metrics. Binarized metrics being, you know, probably what you would normally see, like a conversion rate or you know a percentage of people that engaged in a in a certain action. Either they did it or they didn't. You have non-binarized metrics, which tend to be like revenue per visitor for example, and there's issues with using a metric that's non-binarized versus one that's binarized. And I think you and I actually had a a discussion about this as well, where, you know, when you're using something like revenue and you don't have enough traffic to kind of really pinpoint that, there's a lot of variance with that number. So like using a number like that while it might more accurately represent the problem you're trying to solve, it actually is really, really difficult to experiment with. Um, do you see that a lot too? I mean, it seems like that probably comes up. Uh, it comes definitely up comes up a lot. And this kind of hits on
1: uh, a point about like experimentation can be like very like specific to the business objectives and, and tied to like what the company is trying to achieve. Uh, like, Generally speaking, at Verbo, for example, with some extreme exceptions, it was generally considered um, good to get a booking, right? And obviously, like, you wanted to guard against extreme cases where you were getting lots, of, like, tons and tons of really, really, like, low revenue bookings at the, ex- right, because that would, like, drop company revenue. But um, for, for a company like that, that, like, oftentimes experiments, to your point, because of high variance, couldn't detect meaningful changes in revenue per booking or revenue per visitor. um, And therefore just a conversion rate of did this user do a booking or not was sufficient. And generally like an experiment that um, moved the conversion rate and didn't have a detectable negative effect on revenue was generally considered a pretty big win. Um, But that can certainly change based on the business context. I think there are scenarios where, like it is critically important or more important than just getting a, an additional conversion that you need to run the experiment longer, invest in uh, variance reduction methodologies to um, be able to have a, a better sense of what your revenue looks like. I think this was more applicable actually on the Expedia side. So what would happen often on, on Expedia would be, mm-hmm. you'd have flight booking and car booking and a hotel booking. Um, and all of those have very different revenue profiles. And there, the conversation was much more critical to understand the, 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 revenue impact because you'd then have to trade off. Like if you had an experiment that was negative conversion for cars, but positive conversion for flights, for example, um, it, you, you needed to resort to some other revenue metric to be able to like make that trade off.
0: Okay. So <clears throat> I think we've got everybody sufficiently freaked out uh, <laughs> and, and thinking hard about uh, what experimentation is. Cause basically we've told everybody like, Hey, you can have bucketing problems. You could have problems with your metrics. Maybe you're doing yeah. stuff that's too complicated. You could have problems with estimating how much traffic you need and what your minimal detectable effect is. And so, you know, this is pretty serious stuff. Um, how should PMs prepare for the complexity of running a B tests? Now that we've freaked everybody out, how do we, uh, how do we help them, you know, make sure that they can avoid some of these and, and be better at a B testing than maybe some of their peers or, or others that have tried it before. That's a great question. Uh, I think,
1: You know, if if you're a PM starting out at any reasonable size company, hopefully there's reasonable documentation Um, everywhere I've seen across all Expedia grant brands and meta, of course, like, you know, there's pretty good resources internally for how the platform works. Um, And those are generally really good starting places. If you're going to start running experiments, um, there's likely people that have written a lot about how experimentation works at your company, um, and you should follow those guides. Uh, if those don't exist, um, it's probably a promotion level uh, opportunity to go and create them. If your if your company is already doing experimentation uh, but doesn't have good resources and documentation on the things to watch for, because again, these things can be very business business specific. They can be very tech stack. Specific on like how you deal with exposure imbalance or your or like measuring business metrics and experimentation. So yeah, first things first is find the resources and, and read the docs on how your company uh, does experimentation. Um, and then I think also make sure that your team has done that as well. Um, I think as as mentioned before, like you know, there's j- should be pretty good resources. Uh, it should. Like if you're going to be a team that's running a lot of experiments, your software engineers should be up to speed on those stocks and understanding all the nuances and documented pitfalls at the company, as well as your data scientists. And um, I think that's probably the best thing that you can do. Um, if none of those resources exist, again, um, create them because uh, you'll be helping a lot of people at your company.
0: I also know to have a note here to discuss listening to your data scientist.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a great one. Like I think what, what I see happen often, which is uh, unfortunate at times is um, either a product manager or a software engineer will in isolation uh, run an experiment and then they'll show up at their data scientist doorstep and they'll say, Hey, can we ship this? Like, like, where? what does this mean? What are the trade-offs? And like do your data scientist isn't going to know that that would be like asking, that would be like you asking me about an experiment that you're running at your company. I, I have no idea. Like you've got to, you know what I mean? I could look at the P value or whatever, but I, I just won't know how to help you make a, a decision with just that information. And so involving everyone upfront is very important. So like in the experiment design phase, your data scientist and your software engineer and the product manager, and even the data engineer, if there's like, if you need to build new metrics should all be in lockstep understanding, like, what does this look like? Um, You should be discussing like the trade-offs that you're going to need to make um, before the data starts streaming in, when you're going to see all, you know, depending on how many metrics you can look at, you'll see all sorts of things that are either red or green or whatever your tool (laughs) marks as significant. Um, Mm -hmm. um, And 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 aligning on that stuff up front is really important. And listening to your data scientists at all stages is is very important. Um, If you do that well, if you set up the experiment well and have aligned on the decisions you're going to make, um, it's actually pretty easy to go and make an experiment decision. The hard experiment decisions happen when you haven't done that. And now you've got to go and figure out what data to look at, what day you should look at, which set of days, which metrics, things like that.
0: I got 100% verify that John is being <laughs> completely accurate. He's not just trying to get you to listen to uh, your data scientist just because he's a data scientist. He really means it. It's definitely true. It saved me a lot of pain <laughs> by working with my data scientists instead of trying to go rogue and do it myself. So uh, totally, totally with you. Uh, how about uh, being a skeptic? This is something that we've talked about before. About yeah, results. this is this is really important,
1: and we kind of talked about this some in the in this in- imbalance example with the you know the the time to wait and check out. Uh, in that experiment, the the result for comparing the control version to the the test two or whatever that was ten seconds waiting, that was some crazy thing, like a twenty percent uplift. I don't think I ever have seen any experiment uplift 20% on a, like on a critical like bottom line metric, like booking or something like that. Um, and so, you know, when you see that kind of stuff, you've, even if it's not that extreme, you should always be a super healthy skeptic um, of data that rolls in because of all the complications that can introduce themselves into the experimentation process, like bad exposure logging or overexposing or underexposing or not picking the right metric and or having the metric be defined in a way that's not super clear. Um, and so, yeah, being a healthy skeptic of results is super important. And, you know, it, if, if results are being questioned, which they often should be, um, the answer to how do you discover whether or not they're real or not is actually often to run the same experiment again. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. many, many organizations do this, um, uh, at Meta, it's called backtesting. It's a very common practice. Um, if yeah, if, if experiments are are for for any reason at all, like not uh, if, if there's any question at all, it's pretty straightforward to run an identical experiment again, and this can often um, tell you a lot of information about what happened in the first experiment.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Backtesting, It sounds like something that maybe PMs or 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 teams in general. Uh, maybe they feel like they should be afraid of, uh, but it's really powerful, actually, because, you know, not only are you getting accurate results, but now you're re-verifying what you uh, assume you've learned from previous A-B testing and verifying that it's not a fluke, right? Uh, so the more confidence you can have in in those types of things that you've learned, the more you can use them to better improve the experience for customers, you showed me afraid if you, if your background is flimsy, which maybe it is, but oftentimes, you know, if you got verified results, it's usually not. So yeah, let's recap. So the he- hero image test, not as great as you would think. Yeah. Um, the price and every, test, everyone
1: thought that was going to be like, you know, a huge, everyone was like banking on that being the thing. And yeah, yeah no one thought that like mo- making the prices smaller or whatever the small tweaks were, um, we going to do much. And, um, they were, it's, they were, they were, they were big.
0: You know, it's funny now that I have the experience, I'm like not surprised by any of that. Yeah. Um, and um, it goes to what we're going to talk about a little bit later, but um, it goes to that bit that you were saying about um, encouraging people to be skeptics and really being skeptical, uh, skeptical of the results that you see, because um, the minute I start hearing people being like, oh, this is a slam dunk, my radar goes off and is like, no, it's not. We, we don't know. We got to like go test it and find out. And oftentimes it's wrong. I've read similar stats that you have. Um, Trustworthy Online Controlled Experiments is a great book. Um, amazing, about yeah. experimentation. Yeah. You've, you're probably super familiar with it. Um, Ronnie Kohavi's is the author. He talks about how 85 to 90% of the experiments that they ran at LinkedIn, Bing, um, Airbnb, they're wrong. Um, only 10%, 10 to 15% of them actually worked. So, yeah, it's, you better be prepared to eat a lot of humble pie. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's definitely the part of the job, but it's a great way to learn. Uh, it's a very high fidelity tool. So, you're going to learn a lot along the way. Um, let's talk about evaluating AB tests. What are some of the pitfalls and the issues that you see, um, that are useful for PMs to watch out for when evaluating their AB tests? I mean, I think the the common ones in that, like, are
1: somewhat well known, like, you know, don't peek at your test, which is like, you know, watch it every day and make a decision based on the data that's streaming in and stop it the first day that it's significant and things like that. Um. Those are obvious pitfalls. We mentioned a lot of the, like, acknowledge all of the warnings that your tool probably shows you or should show you about, you know, when things could be suspect, right? Exposure imbalance is often very alerted.
0: Yeah. So peaking peaking is one, Yeah. um, which is a really important one, actually. (laughs) So if you don't know about peaking, I highly recommend looking that one up and and understanding it better uh, because it'll get you for sure. Uh, yeah. R- Ramesh
1: Johari has a really good video about this. Um, it's oh, cool. a, it's on YouTube. It's, you can Google like peaking Ramesh Johari. It's a Stanford lecture and he, he really talks about this in a in a pretty intuitive way. It's like when people ask me about peaking, I'm like, you like, here's this video, uh, explain better than I can explain it. Um, listen to it. It's nice. pretty interesting.
0: Highly re- recommend everybody check that out. We'll see if we can find it and put it in the, Put it in the show notes. So there's peaking. Um, there's, uh, we talked before about the differences between testing in social products versus testing in e commerce products. Like the chat example is a really good one where, you know, if you're looking to see if you're driving more engagement in chat, you're probably not going to use the same metrics and evaluation methodology that you would use in e-commerce, right? Like it's totally, it's totally different. And it seems like right tool, right job is really important.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know if I'd categorize this as a pitfall per se, but I think it's very important to understand that experimentation is very, But, like, has a lot of business context, and like the way that an organization runs and evaluates experiments is very contextual to the business context and the business process, and like what the objectives of experimentation are at a business. And that can vary quite significantly depending on the business that you're in. Um, You can imagine um, that the way that Meta runs experiments is actually quite fundamentally different than the way that Verbo runs experiments. And even within um, a a, a company, as you mentioned, like the way that the conversation platform runs experiments and wants to evaluate success could be quite different from the way that the search org wants to run experiments and evaluate success. Um, And so I think it's very important to be mindful of the business setting that you're in and like how experimentation is used in that setting. Um, And there can be a lot of different perspectives at a company, um, especially a large company, about what's the objective of of experimentation or like, you know, what are the ultimate outcomes that are being sought from running experiments even.
0: Yeah, it's a a great point because, you know, when you're talking to other companies, some companies are like, well, you know, we really use experimentation for the cases where we really don't know what the outcome is going to be but otherwise we're going to ship product and it's kind of like a hybrid of things. And then some companies are like, they live and die by the AB test. It's like, if it hasn't run as an AB test, it doesn't count. And it's yeah. And then spectrum, where do you think it is? What do you think is healthy? That's
1: a great question. I mean, again, I think it gets back to the, like, how the business runs and how important it is for, for a business to have like unbiased estimates of, of like, what's the impact of the things that they ship. Um, you, your question was, what's the bat,
0: like where, where, where
1: should an organization land?
0: Yeah. Or, maybe, um, <clears throat> maybe a better way to put this is something that you and I have talked about is that um, sometimes if you can't, get an accurate read on an a B test or you know the outcome of doing something uh, whether it's positive or negative and and you're either looking to avoid the negative or embrace uh, the likely positive outcome it's just better not to run the a B test because you already know either already know the outcome uh, pretty strongly like a bug fix for example if it's a if're fixing a bug probably shouldn't run that as an a B test or if you're trying to measure something that's really, really hard to measure and impossible to measure with an AB test. You know, you're better, tr- better off using a different method or just shipping it and evaluating it. Um, yeah, post-ship. I mean, these, these are two very
1: interesting, like concepts. I think on the, if you're trying to measure something that can't be measured in an AB test, for sure, like probably then shouldn't run an AB test. And, um, I think on the bug fix side, you'll see different orgs have different philosophies on this. Um, you know, for example, at, at a place like Meta, you, you might actually decide to run a thing like that through an experiment because the, the, like the code stack and mm-hmm. the ecosystem can be very complex. And you wanna, might want to make sure that even a bug fix um, or what you, th- what, what you think is a bug fix isn't causing some unintended harm to some other part of the ecosystem. Um, and, it, but it t- to some degree does again, come back to your risk profile and the company culture around testing versus other means for evaluating, um, the success of a product launch or the viability of a, uh, of a new API or some bug fix or something that you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, I don't know if everybody on the pod would think that a, someone really focused on experimentation would ever say, don't run an A-B test. <laughs> uh, and I think I was pretty shocked when you said that to me too. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess there are certain things that maybe we shouldn't. But it also is fascinating to hear you talk about how your company culture or how your business runs really does affect how you should be running experimentation because um, I think probably everybody might think like, oh, there's this is like a pretty standard process. And it's actually highly variable depending on it's the, the highly range. variable
1: like to put it in some perspective like if there was a one-size-fits-all way to do experimentation then optimizely would have taken over the world and just been the thing to do for experimentation <laughs> i mean like exaggerating but right you, you get what i'm saying that like yeah um, e- even within expedia group right where when i joined Verbo had their own experimentation platform and Expedia.com had their own and Hotels.com had their own. There were di- like different ways of doing things for legitimately right reasons, right? And, and that's like all within the travel business. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely, you know, experimentation is very business and context specific. Um, again, if there was a right way to do experimentation that everyone could agree on, then that's what everyone would have been doing already. And, um, I wouldn't be here.
0: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I don't think a lot of, a lot of us would have jobs. Um, okay. So I think this is a good point to start wrapping up. So let's, let's just kind of, we've talked about a lot of things what kinds of process should a PM be engaging in with regards to experimentation? Like maybe from like start to finish, you know, if you're thinking about running an experiment to an experiment has launched. You've been able to evaluate it and call it one way or another. What kind of, what generally should that process look like? What should PMs generally be engaging in knowing there's nuance in.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, so I think we talked some about this before, which is you know involve like when you at the design of an experiment when you're when you're going to hey we have this feature we we actually were agreed that we're going to run this as an experiment, the process should start with that conversation and the right people, which is your data scientist, your software engineer, potentially your data engineer, or people who are involved with defining your metrics, right? And and at that time um, when you're going to run the experiment, there should be a lot of thought into the, like, uh, how much effort is this? And therefore, like, what kind of a what kind of a lift would, or, or an uplift or, or an impact will we need to see from this investment? And those conversations should be happening with your data scientists and with your software engineer, like, early on in the process. And, like, once once that's all materialized, and you're like, yeah, we're going to run this test, and we, we roughly know how long it's going to run for, how many users we're going to target in the experiment, uh, who, who we're going to target, Um, then a lot of that turns into the, the, like the software engineer, like they have clear requirements. Now they know how to log exposures. They know what they're building. They know how we want to test it. They know enough about the metrics. They're going to go do that. Um, and then there's a, there's like a monitoring phase where, um, you know, we talked a little bit about peaking, but, you know, as you're evaluating an experiment, again, based on your business process, you probably do want to check it frequently to make sure that, Data is flowing in correctly, and you're not completely tanking a, a, an important metric that's really important for your company, right? And as that's coming in, you know what you do with that data is quite important. Um, it's probably okay to peek at an experiment if you're going to turn off experiments that have huge you know, regressions in your company, in your most important company metrics. If the next step is not to, you know, say this was a complete failure, but to sort of go back to the drawing board and use that information to test again and to learn what might've caused this, or or maybe it was just a false positive, you actually don't know. Um, and And if you've done all of that, um, I actually think the evaluation phase, like once you've gotten to a you know agreed upon stopping point, um, and evaluating whether or not you should make a ship decision, um, if you've done everything right up to that point, which is you know align on the trade offs and align on the metrics and make sure you're agreed on how it's going to be evaluated, that that part can be pretty straightforward.
0: It does. It's like involve your data scientists early to design the experiment and calling. And how you're going to call the experiment up front, so that you can avoid a lot of pain later on. <laughs> um, yep. Basically, is um, great advice. Yeah, that's perfect, man. Um, and I definitely is corroborated by my experience. Definitely, some experience of you and I working together on it. Um, and uh, and yeah, that's good. that's great, man. All right. So, any also, parting thoughts? Oh, oh just to add to no, 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 yeah, please. just Go to ahead. add to that, like. I think if you're doing this
1: in isolation on your own individual team, um, it's a miss, right? If you have a good process like that, um, like this should be something that's ingrained within your company or your org um, to to like codify that into trainings or documentation or just like a like a unified philosophy on how experiments should be run at the company. And if your your company doesn't have that already, building that is a is a real value. Um, and if it does that have that already iterating on it and are improving on it or making sure that like everyone on your team has a pretty good sense of the philosophy for how we run experiments at this company is, is really important. Um, uh, it, and the process that I me, laid out. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Oh yeah, please, please, please. No, 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 thought.
1: I was just gonna say the, the process I laid out is, you know, what I think is good, but you know, again, I haven't worked at millions of companies. You, there may be a better process for a particular product area that, is already thought out through uh, that has already been thought through by, you know, people running experimentation there and like adhering to that process and making sure you understand why it's in place is really important.
0: Yeah, for sure. uh, What you were talking about earlier um, about the policy of a company and, and having clarity there, it just reminds, it reminded me of um, the Halcyon days of when we were at Expedia group at Verbo. And our experimentation policy had grown outdated um, with um, a lot of gaps in it from, you know, from what we had learned up to that point about experimentation. And uh, it's just a good lesson in the fact that not all of the senior people also have it figured out because we would argue about it for weeks and weeks and weeks about Hey, you know, we need to change our policy to reflect this. And then the minute we try to change it, everyone would be like, "Well, no, I learned something else." And like, we would, you know, uh, butt heads about it. So, you know, if you're a PM at a company um, taking initiative with your experimentation team to try to hammer that out is a good idea because there's a pretty decent chance that it uh, hasn't been updated, or or maybe you haven't gotten what the new stuff that you've learned. I mean, we used to lock ourselves. I Basically, I remember this. I got sick of it. I got sick of everybody just butting heads about it. So I locked everybody into a room and I was like, we're going to do this every week and we're going to sit here and we're going to hammer out this policy weekly until it's done. (laughs) And and we never got to done, but we did get a lot better about like, hey, how should we be calling things? How should we be setting things up? And having those types of uh, discussions facilitating them as an engineer or as a PM that can be like senior principal level type stuff that can really help your company, help your teams out.
1: Totally Dri- driving alignment uh, across multiple or like orgs or pill, whatever running experiments um, uh, is, is really important. And it's hard work to your point. Like lots we we were in lots and lots of conversations <laughs> with me and you and Bobby and whoever else just like figuring out like, what is the like, how does this company, how should we be running experiments here? Um, those are not easy conversations to have. There's a lot of differing opinions. That, but if you don't get to a, like a reasonably aligned stance, it's going to be difficult because you're going to have different people thinking different things about what the objective of this thing is. Um,
0: yeah, hundred percent, man. Well, we've reached the end. My glass is, is pretty much empty. Um, <laughs> any parting thoughts for everybody? And now that we've freaked everybody out, uh, but also given some good advice about how to handle the complexity the, that's involved with A-B testing.
1: Yeah, parting thoughts. I think something we we talked about, or we didn't touch on much, but you, it has come up recently in the process is, okay, you've, you've done everything. You've aligned the org on how should we be doing this. You've met with your data scientists. You've agreed on an MDE and all that stuff. And you've run your experiment and you get your results. Um and regardless of whether you ship or don't ship or whatever your business decision ends up being, I actually think one of the most valuable parts of experimentation is is learning and communicating that learning, and embracing wins and losses. Um, I don't think that's done well enough at most places I've been, which is to embrace the fact that um, you had a loss, uh, an, ex- an experiment, an experiment that like showed a negative impact in a metric you expected it to have a positive impact on. Um, I actually think it's, that's a really important thing to like highlight and like publish and make it, make the results of the experiments like well-known. Um, cause that can help a lot of people. These are like experiments often produce the most unbiased accurate results of like how things are operating on your platform or systems. Um, and so making those findings like really accessible, really well-known documenting the decisions, why you made them, what the metrics look like is, is really important. Um, it doesn't seem important at the time that it's happening. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely something that's, that's moved Verbo, for example, forward, uh, from a learnings perspective is getting yeah. a crisp on documenting learnings and, and, and being okay with publishing a loss or a win.
0: Yeah. hundred percent actually, you know, now, in retrospect, a, th- a lot of the things we used to talk about at Verbo, where you know a win and a loss are just as important, you actually get to learn from those things. And a lot of our bosses used to say neutral is probably one of the worst results you could get, totally, because you didn't, you may not have learned a lot from that from that experience. And so, um, you know, I ran into this the other day. Actually, there was a PM that was that was sharing their experiment results. And then all of a sudden they're like, "Ah, oh, this is kind of embarrassing. This is a pretty bad loss." And it's like, "No, this is like where the magic is. You yeah. tried something that we all thought was going to work, just like that that uh, primary image test. You know, we tried something uh, recently that we were all convinced totally was going to work, slam dunk, no questions about it. And it it was one of the biggest failures we've ever had. <laughs> and um, to go through that, learn about it, talk about it, that process." Is just as important, if not more important than uh, what the actual outcome was, um, because the whole company gets to learn from from that, and we adjust strategy, we make better tactical changes. Yeah, I, I mean, plus one. Thanks for bringing that bringing that back up because uh, yeah. it, it is super critical.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and that's why it's important to do experimentation right. Right. if following the rules and listening to your data scientists and re- reading sort of basic documentation on how to do these things, right? It's important because you, you don't want those learnings to be coming from a, a bad process like peaking. Again, it might be okay to peak, um, but it's not okay to peak and then communicate those results as learnings to the business that are going to derive sort of like, you know, value of like this information that you're sharing.
0: Yeah, 100%, man. Yeah. All right, dude, we did it. Yeah, this is a great conversation, man. Um, yeah, thank you so much, John, for joining us for a happy hour. where can people find you? Um, you know, I more often than you, more often than not that you think,
1: um, get hit up by, uh, ex coworkers on LinkedIn (laughs) about experimentation questions. So, um, I'm, (laughs) um, I'm not going to disclose names or give counts, but I definitely get more questions about experimentation from ex-colleagues than you'd imagine. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn if you have follow-up questions. and um, I'm I'm on the platform reasonably
0: uh, reasonably well. That's awesome, man. Yeah, well, uh, everybody hit up John on LinkedIn. You'll get a bunch of DMs. Uh, sorry. And you're welcome. (laughs) And, uh, uh, thanks for joining us for happy hour today, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Good seeing you again too. Cheers. Dude. Good to see you. Cheers. All right, man. All right. And that's a wrap. John has some amazing knowledge of experimentation and data science. I hope y'all learned a lot from our conversation and can apply it anytime you're getting ready to run some AB tests. Let us know if you enjoyed this interview in the comments at our website for the episode And if there are any guests you'd love to hear from on the show, thank you as always for joining us for Product Happy Hour. If you enjoyed Happy Hour today, please support us by subscribing at our website, ProductHappyHour.com, and consider a paid subscription. There are two options, $5 a month and $30 a year. For one Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year, you can help us keep this party going. Thank you in advance for your support. You can also support the show by following the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also rate the show five stars on your platform of choice. really helps us out. Follow us on Instagram or TikTok for clips at ProductHappyHR. And please share with your friends and spread the word. The more people at the bar, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And we'll see you next time. Cheers.